Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. It is February 24. We just finished up the second weekend of college baseball. I'm Teddy Cahill. We've got Joe Healy here again. And Joe, it was, uh, it was another wild weekend around the country. We have another new number one team, second week in a row to start the season. It's Florida. We'll get into that more. But it was, uh, it was more baseball and it was more fun baseball this weekend. Yeah, 100%. And I have to admit, you know, I was a little down on week two just in general. Now, I'm always up for college baseball just full stop. However, you know, coming off of a strong week one and then week three being annually loaded, it felt like week two was maybe like the, the soft spot in the schedule. But not only did the, the series we were looking at turn out to be, turn out to live up to every bit of the hype with Florida and Miami, but also we got, you know, a good series or at least the individual games weren't particularly compelling, but we got an interesting series with UConn and Michigan. I mean, it was ultimately three kind of ugly games. Um, but we also got, I mean, I don't know that we talked for more than a second, if at all, about UCF Auburn going into the weekend. I don't think we mentioned it. Yeah, and, and that one gave us a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So we got what we expected, and then some from a schedule that on paper was just kind of kind of okay. Actually, no, I think I did mention it because we broadened it to larger American topics, but we spent much more time talking about UConn and Tulane. And, and the Tulane-Fullerton series went totally under the radar this weekend, but it was legitimately interesting yeah. as well. I know we talked about Houston more because we talked about yeah. them being in, yeah. in Round Rock, so they definitely got talked about. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it was probably just a passing reference to, to UCF and Auburn, and, and here we are, and that's, I guess, part of the beauty of, of this sport. Absolutely. So... This weekend, there were some shakeups again. We're talking about UCF because they swept Auburn, and UCF entered the top 25. As a result, they check in at number 21. The top of the poll, again, like I said, it is Florida at number one, Texas Tech at number two, Vanderbilt at number three, Mississippi State at number four, Michigan Falls to five. You can find the rest at baseballamerica.com and yell at me about it there or on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter, at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. We have a lot to talk about here on the podcast today. But first, I want to get in a word from our sponsor, Get Roman. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say, Joe? I'd say two weeks, probably. Americans have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. And that's just a normal doctor. I, I know that it's more if it's a specific doctor. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy 
can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. That's free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. If you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com BA for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Again, that's GetRoman.com BA for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, Joe, the main series from this weekend coming into it was that showdown in Coral Gables, Florida traveling to Miami. It was the first time the two teams had met as top three teams in a regular season series since 1992, and it did not disappoint. The light was sold out all weekend by Thursday. The, the atmosphere looked outstanding on TV. Kevin O'Sullivan told me it was a really, really good atmosphere uh, when they're actually playing in it. And it wound up with three very compelling, very tight, tensely played games. And Florida comes out with a sweep. They win the series for the sixth straight year. They swept in Coral Gables for the first time since 2012. They basically just have owned this rivalry um, for the last six years. Plus, I mean, pretty much entire, the entirety of Sully's tenure, Florida has been in control of this series. And that's certainly been true over the last decade. Uh, this weekend felt like those games could have gone either way in some cases, but Florida just finds a way to win. The first two were in extra innings. Uh, they win 2-1 to one on Friday night. Both starters, Tommy Mace, Brian Van Bell, were excellent. Florida finds a way to scratch out a run against Daniel Fetterman, Miami's closer. Then in the, the Saturday game, Florida's actually trailing 2-1. to one. They're down to their final strike. And then again, Florida gets to Fetterman, ties the game, sends it to extras, kind of explodes in the 10th inning, and they go on to win that game. And then Sunday, a little more conventionally, they led from the start, but it was a tight game again. Miami only trailed by one run going into the ninth inning. Florida was able to add some insurance late uh, and widen the score line a little bit. But you know, all in all, a very commanding performance from Florida. But there are some places where if you're Miami, you could look at it and say, well, if this had just not happened, we, we win this game and then maybe we win the series. Yeah, I mean, this, how, this is how things go when you're snake-bitten. I don't want to use the term snake-bitten, although I guess I, I just did in, in, a, in a way. But because snake-bitten to me, you know, is, would slight Florida and what Florida has done in this rivalry. Uh, snake-bitten, I guess, suggests bad luck. And I think this has, sure, there are some lucky things here and there, but I think it's just more that you know, Florida really controls this rivalry, and these are the types of games that one team wins and one team loses when uh, one team is controlling this rivalry, because you're right, especially those first two games, uh, you know, in that Saturday game, heck, one more strike and Miami wins that game. That, I mean, that's how tight these things were. Uh, so there's a, there's a, easily a scenario where Miami wins this series, uh, but instead it goes the other way uh, in, in a hard direction, and, and Florida ends up ends up sweeping it, but absolutely fantastic series. I, I tweeted late Saturday night as that game was going into extra innings that, you know, this series had just been so good. I mean, every pitch was tense from the beginning to end. Um, the crowd was electric. And there's something about watching those games at Mark Light when you're, uh, I don't mean in person, I mean just when you're watching on TV or on a stream, where the way the Mark Light is set up, they're always at these big games, they're always just a ton of people standing, like in the concourse between those first few rows of seats and the the, the the second deck of seats. 
And I think that kind of creates a little bit of atmosphere in some way where it just feels like they are all right on top of the field. And I'm sure for the players, it feels that way too. Um, so that adds a little bit to it. But, uh, you know, we talked about the key thing going into this weekend being what does Miami's offense do against, you know, Mace, Leftwich, and as it turned out, Hunter Barco, uh, the standout freshman for Florida. And I think we got our answer there that, that Florida's pitchers were just up to the task. And it was, um, you know, Miami's bats that were, they were pretty quiet. Uh, they had their little moments here and there. You know, Alex Terrell hit a big home run at, at, at some point. I think it was on the, in the middle game. But by and large, uh, Florida's pitching controlled the series again. And, and that felt like it was a difference because Miami pitched pretty well. I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, Van Bell was absolutely outstanding. And on a rotation that has two pro arms in Chris McMahon and Slade Ciccone, Brian Van Bell continues to be the most consistent of the three. Um, you, could, you couldn't have asked for really anything more out of him on Friday night. So Miami pitched well enough to win this series. They just did not hit well enough to win the series, and there you have it. I think the, the thing that really stood out about Florida's pitching was, yes, the, the starting pitching was excellent. Mace uh, one, held Miami to one run in seven innings uh, on Friday night, left which one run in six innings. Barco, uh, I think it was one run and five and a third. Um, he didn't have the command that, that Sully wanted to see from Barco yet, uh, but he said that at one point he challenged, he went out to the mound and challenged Barco, like, look, I want you to qualify for a win. I want you to get through at least five so that you can get yourself a win in your first weekend start in this series, uh, but you have to throw more strikes. You have to command the ball better for that to happen, and Barco made an adjustment and improved, and, and um, you know, rose to that challenge and was able to eventually get the win. And so those three guys were great. But I thought the difference in the in the pitching was really in the bullpen because Miami starters did a good job. Shikoni on Sunday did give up runs, and and he, you know, that that was maybe a little different. But at least Van Bell and McMahon were really matching Mason Leftwich. And where the difference came in those two games really was in the bullpen where you know, Florida went with the same three guys in both games, Christian Scott, uh, David Pogue, and, and Ben Specht. Ben Specht, there it is. Those, going with those three guys for, for the entirety of, of, of both of those games, the, the four innings they had to cover on both days in, in some combination, that really was a difference maker because Miami has good bullpen pieces. Daniel Fetterman can be a really good, dominant closer, but Florida was able to get to him, and Miami wasn't able to, to get to Florida's relievers. And this Florida staff has really good frontline talent when you look at Mace, Leftwich, Barco. Like, those guys are, are headline guys, and they should be. But the depth of this staff was on display this weekend. I thought the bullpen all weekend was very good. Those sophomore right-handers on Friday and Saturday night in particular were really good. But if you look on Sunday, uh, Florida, Florida's bullpen did a good job again. And you know, to me, the, the depth of that Florida staff plus the frontline ability is really what makes it special. And then the lineup has plenty of depth, too. They, they did a better job than the Miami hitters. But the, the pitching difference for me was in the bullpen. It's a good point, and it, it really did kind of feel like Miami was still kind of trying to mix and match more so than Florida did, and I don't want to try to get into the mind of these coaches necessarily because I, I haven't talked to them, and I'm, I'm making assumptions. However, it did feel, to your point, that Florida was being intentional about who they were using in the bullpen, and that's not to say that Gino Damari and J.D. Arteaga were drawing names out of a hat, but it did feel like they were still trying to kind of figure out who they wanted in these big spots, and 
So what you end up with is, you know, and Fetterman gave up runs, and I think you and I both think he's going to, you know, be better as, as time goes on with what he's already proven to be able to do. But they end up with a freshman and Alex McFarlane on the mound in that middle game in extra innings, and he's the guy that Florida really got it going against. And they, they like him, and they think he's one of the best arms on the staff. I mean, and that's he was why he's a in very exciting recruit. He also gave up a mammoth home run right off the bat to Kirby McMullen. Yeah, so, I mean, that's just a moment when, like, was the moment too big for the kid? We don't know. I mean, we're not in his head either. But you can, that's a situation where I think Miami would have liked to have had. But at that point, they'd used Kaiser. They'd used J.P. Gates. They'd used Daniel Fetterman. And he was kind of what, what they had. So there's a situation where he was put in a spot that he probably wasn't necessarily ready for. Um, for Miami, though, I think it was good news. They got Carson Palmquist on Sunday, and he threw three shutout innings, um, just one walk, five strikeouts. Um, you know, he was one of the guys that, that when I talked to Gino before the season, that he was really excited about as a guy that could be an instant impact guy, and I think we maybe saw that on Sunday. So he's a guy I'm looking, looking forward to seeing more of as the season goes on and see if maybe he becomes a bigger part of the bullpen mix for the Canes. I think the other thing that really stood out to me with, with Florida is just how widespread the offense was that that maybe isn't a good way to to put it but they they got production from up and down the lineup every single day it was somebody new doing doing something jacob young was really good all weekend i i felt like at the top of the lineup always making something happen he delivered the the key hit on friday night uh driving in the what would eventually prove to be the winning run um judd fabian had some some moments throughout the weekend josh rivera had some moments uh, Kirby McMullen had his moments. So I, you know, the, this Florida lineup can be very deep and it's not dependent on one or two guys. Fabian is going to be a really high draft pick next year and he's Florida's best player. He certainly looks the part. But right now anyway, Florida isn't dependent on him and, and that's good because they, they have plenty of options here. You have a guy like Kirby McMullen who spent the first three years of his career at Florida mostly pitching and now he's become their everyday third baseman and is hitting three hole and hit that that big home run in the 10th inning on on Saturday night and you know Sully noted that you know like he's hitting him three hole like that, that's not a favor that's not senior preference that that's none of that he won the job at third base he he beat out some quality competition to win that job he won the job and now he's hitting three hole that that gives you every indication of how good Florida thinks Kirby McMullen can be as a hitter and if he is going to be that good all season long uh, that that's a kind of a scary proposition for opponents. Yeah, just a quick snapshot of Florida's depth. When you look at their stat sheet, one of the things I like to look at over the first few weekends of the season is when you look at the stat sheet, how locked in is a team to their best nine guys? And so most teams have played some, you know, somewhere in the range of six, seven, eight games. And so how many teams, you know, when you look at it and it's like, okay, well, these, these eight guys have started every game, and then this other guy started four, and another guy started two or three. Um, but with Florida, you don't see that. I mean, certainly you've got Judd Fabian, Kirby McMullen have started every game, Corey Acton. But then they've got guys that have three starts, four starts, five starts, seven starts. So they are mixing and matching in a good way where I think, you know, Sully is looking at his depth and saying, you know, we can really – coaches will tell you that they're going to play matchups, but he's in a position of, of strength where you can play matchups really based on the guys they have and not – He's not just paying lip service to that, which some coaches, I think, do sometimes where, you know, that's just a way of, of saying we're just going to play our best guys. I think when, um, when when Sully would say something like that, it's because you look at the depth they have here and it's, it's really pretty enviable. 
Absolutely. And I think he will eventually settle on something more sure. of a defined lineup. That's what typically happens right. in Florida, that like he's not afraid to try things out early in the season, whereas some coaches uh, prefer to have things a little more settled early on. But, but Sully's usually going to try things out for the first month or so, longer if necessary, and you know, eventually work into something. But, you know, honestly, I don't know that they will do that this year. They have so many options, and, and they're all playing so well right now. That's why Florida's 8-0. Surprisingly, 8-0 uh, has not been done under Kevin O'Sullivan before. This is the first time they've been 8-0 uh, since 2002. It's the fifth time in program history. I thought about trivia timing you on that, mm. show, but I opted not to, to give you what I... Pretty sure you either read this morning and off the bat, or uh, just it would, it would have been an impossible get for you. Uh, so the point is, Florida is has somehow managed to do something they haven't done under under Kevin O'Sullivan, and I kind of thought they were out of those things. But this Florida team off to a really good start. This sweep against Miami is really really loud. It's why they're number one and. As they go forward, starting this weekend with a tricky series against Troy back in Gainesville, um, you know, Florida's going to be playing with that target on their back again. They're very used to doing that as a team, but there are a lot of new players uh, on this particular team that haven't had to do that before, and it, it will be interesting to see how they, how they handle that. I know that's something that, that Sully mentioned last night that he's already thinking about and already he, he said he spent all weekend trying to get them ready for the idea that you know, there are going to be rankings on Monday and they're going to have Florida listed really high and you still, it's February, there, there's still a lot of improvement needed to be done here. Yeah, that's certainly something you could see, not just, I, I mean, Florida specifically, but teams like this that come out flying high. It's, it's one thing to get up for a road rivalry series against Miami, which is, you know, a rivalry series in and of itself is, is something you can get up for, but on the road in that type of environment, even more so, it's, it's quite another thing to come back home, um, you know, and, and perhaps Florida basketball this year is not giving them something. But, you know, a lot of times you come back home and people aren't in baseball mode yet, except with the exception of, of the places that turn out all the time. But, you know, people aren't maybe necessarily as keyed into it, so it's at home it's just not quite um, what it will be in April and May. And you just can't struggle to kind of get up against lesser competition. In those yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's the big thing. Regardless, home, road, it, you know, you go from Miami, top three series, sold out Mark Light, you know, all this hype around it to, okay, yeah, Troy's a good team here. We get it. But, like, also, it's not. There's no number next to their name. And, and you know, it, it, it's going to be a different atmosphere. And, and that's, that's the challenge for 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who haven't been through this before. And you know that that's something that every team, like you said, that is is going to have to deal with. And uh, we'll we'll see where the Gators go from here. But what about the the Canes, Joe? You spent a lot of time talking Miami baseball start of the season. You wrote about them in the college preview issue, and now the Canes, um, you know, have, have hit a skid here. And, and how how do they go? Um, you know, how do they bounce back from this? I, I you know the internally you can't be feeling great about this you just got swept at home by your your rival but you do have to understand that you played pretty well in this series yeah i, I don't think there's necessarily going to be a ton of um i don't think there's a ton of reason to panic first off um given how close this series was and um you know maybe in some way i don't know I, like i'm just going to throw this theory out there and it's it's probably just not not something that's true but i can imagine a scenario where 
losing this series against Florida, even though you lost thing, games in, in heartbreaking fashion and you really wanted to win a series against a rival, um, you know, they've, I'll just put it this way, they've been there before with this series. Um, and so they know what six this years is, in a row now. <laughs> they know what this feels like. And again, I'm not suggesting that they enjoy being in this position, but they are familiar with this position. And, and maybe in some way that helps. I don't know. Like it's not like they got blindsided by this result. They've been here before. And um, you know, I do have kind of lingering concerns about the offense now. Um, Florida pitches well, uh, so perhaps uh, we should kind of just take a wait and see. But we talked about you know the idea that. You know, Freddie Zamora being out of lineup kind of slides everybody down one spot, and that kind of affects your depth. And they're still waiting on some key pieces in the lineup to come around. Ray Gill is one of them. Alex Terrell um, kind of did Alex Terrell things this weekend where, you know, he, he hit a big home run, but, um, you know, he's still hitting just 208 on the year, um, so struggling with consistency there. And Tyler Page is the guy who's kind of in the lineup now. Rather than Freddie Zamora, and, and his average is down below 150, Jordan Lala is hitting 130. Now, Jordan Lala is also doing Jordan Lala things, where his on-base percentage is almost 400 with a 130 batting average, which is impressive in its own right. Um, but So there are some lingering concerns I have about the offense outside of Adrian Del Castillo, who continues to just to just rake. But um, I, So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think they're going to be fine, um, but I think they're going to have to show some improvement in the coming weeks in, in terms of being able to consistently score runs to live up to that top five billing moving forward. I think in my mind, even as someone who was very high on the Canes coming into the season, I think I'm in a position where I'm going to need them to kind of prove it to me again um, in the coming weeks. Now, it's an interesting, they have a chance to get right this week. They play South Florida on Wednesday. South Florida is two and six, was just swept at home by Northeastern, is on a five game losing streak. Uh, it doesn't look good for the Bulls right now. So that's their midweek, and then they have Towson, which is 2-4 and four and should be overmatched by Miami. So they have a chance this week to kind of flush this, go 4-0, regroup, see where things are at uh, before they start ACC play uh, the following week with Pittsburgh at home, which is 6-1. and one. So the Panthers are a little feistier this year than you might be used to, but that also is a bit of a soft entry into ACC play, at least relative to what we think other ACC teams will be. You know, that remains to be seen, obviously, but it does look like the schedule gives them a chance to catch their breath from this, regroup, and move forward. And, and that, that probably is exactly what the doctor ordered right now uh, for the Canes. I, I wouldn't be too concerned right now, but... You know, the, the broad, I wouldn't be concerned about them in the regular season anyway. I, I think they still can do pretty much everything we thought they could do in that, you know, they can go compete at the top of the ACC. They can go, um, you know, host a regional, whether they're a top eight national seed, you know, who knows that some of that just is going to depend on exactly how the ACC falls. But I have more concerns now about what happens down the road because, you know, part of the, the entire reason we ranked Florida ahead of Miami, maybe not the entire reason, almost the entire reason is because Miami just doesn't beat Florida. And I get that the Gators are really good and that's a very difficult measuring stick for them. But, you know, I, I think it is a little bit representative of where that offense is and where their pitching staff matches up with some of these SEC behemoths like Florida, where, you know, you're going to face premium arms from start to finish. There's no let up 
and you know that you your your hitters have to figure out how to how to beat that. And to this point, we haven't seen the Miami's figure that out, and um, you know that they're they're still working on that, and and it's a process, and we'll see where they are at the end of the season. But right now, that that's my overarching concern about Miami, and I don't think it'll really rear its head in a huge way again until the postseason. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we talk we've talked before about winning in the regular season is sometimes different than winning in the postseason. We've talked about it with Clemson, I know, when we talk about their pitching staff, and in Miami, it's the opposite with with their offense. Um, just a, a quick other note on Miami. I, I appreciate that in their Pittsburgh series. On Saturday, they are doing a poncho giveaway, which seems very on-brand for South Florida <laughs> in the springtime, that they are giving away ponchos for the game. I don't know if it's that they've gotten a tip that it's going to rain that day. but uh, They pulled out the Farmer's Almanac. And yeah, exactly. Saw they were like, oh, well, rain on March 7th, so let's do the poncho giveaway. But, uh, you know, springtime in Florida, anybody who follows spring training baseball knows that spring springtime in Florida um, is certainly uh, certainly a place where the odd rainstorm here or there is, is pretty common. So it I mean, that's a nice giveaway. That. That's something you can use all season. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I much prefer that to, like, further down their schedule, they have a plastic fan giveaway. Which that's another thing you can use all season long. Though. I guess that's true. I, I guess that's true. Um, so, okay, compared to senior night, that's, no, I'm kidding. That's, <laughs> that's a, an honored tradition in um in, in While we're on the subject of sports. giveaways, though, Arkansas State this weekend gave away free jambalaya on Friday night, and, I mean, that one... I, that, that one is going to rank pretty highly on the, the best giveaways of the season, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it, it wasn't it, it was like Mardi Gras themed. Is that what they were? They Mardi were like Gras, a Mardi Gras is, night. Is tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, so they were having like a, a Mardi Gras night. And I think there, they were playing so. UNO. Yeah, so I think it was, it's, which is just, it's great, a great job by the marketing department to kind of tie all that together. And I, I think that's something that um, college baseball writ large is doing a better job of these days, is, is realizing that, you know, um, there, there are opportunities out there to, I mean, for one, just give your fans a good experience, but then B, um, outlets like this one um, are pretty good about, you know, throwing kudos people's way, and I'm not suggesting that's, that's a big part of the motivation, but you can get, give your program some, some notoriety for doing things like that consistently, and so um, I do think that it has one way in which college baseball has really improved in recent years is just stepping their game up in terms of game day experience for sure. Well, we talked about this Florida-Miami series. Let's keep it in the state of Florida and talk about UCF here going to Auburn and, and sweeping this weekend. Uh, a very impressive road sweep for the Knights, which is a team that I like coming into the season but wasn't quite sure what exactly it was really going to look like because there was just so much fresh about the program. They brought in a huge number of new players this year. And... It looks like it's gelling pretty well so far. They they swept Siena on opening weekend, um, you know, whatever. That that result was, it, it wasn't going to move the needle one way or the other. But this one, going to Auburn and not only winning the series, but sweeping it, and sweeping it somewhat convincingly. Friday night was close, um, but after that, UCF really controlled the series and left no doubt that, that they were the better team this weekend on the Plains. And... As a result, the Knights are back in the top 25. Like I said, they're at number 21. And they certainly look like, in, in an American conference that looks crowded near the top, they're certainly right there with an ECU. Um, you know, UConn has done some nice things this year. 
against Michigan, not so nice against any of their other competition, but against Michigan, they're 3-1. and one. So UConn is, is looking pretty solid like we thought, uh, but you know, whereas maybe we had Houston as a projected regional team coming into the season, and, and they've kind of stumbled out of the gate, we've talked about that, UCF now racing out of the gate and racing, uh, you know, right past an Auburn Tigers team uh, in Auburn this weekend. Yeah, I think what was really impressive about it, too, is you talked about they kind of ran away with Saturday and Sunday's games, in particular on Sunday. I think it was like a seven-run third inning or something that really did Auburn in on Sunday. But um, I think it was impressive, too, that the 3-1 to one win on Friday, they, you know, outdid Tanner Burns. Um, you know, uh, Colton Gordon was the starter for, for UCF in that one and, and outpitched outpitched a guy who, you know, is a big-time prospect and is a name that people have known around college baseball, and and they win a 3-1 to one game against Auburn and Tanner Burns. That's really impressive, um, just just as impressive as what they did the last two games, last two games of the series. Um, I think your point about the American is good. I mean, I, I wrote about in the Top 25 Roundup, you know, East Carolina kind of quietly going about their business, and that's true, but I think certainly this is not another year where whoever it is, whether it's ECU or someone else, is going to just run away with with the league, and I think that kind of created a scenario where I felt like, this I'm not saying I was wrong about this, but I felt like maybe the American was a little bit down last year, and I think a lot of that was just because ECU was so clearly the best team there. Everybody else was kind of jumbled up. I think two things can be true there. I kind of think it was down. Yeah, so this, I mean, I, it, 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 all of this goes back to how do you evaluate a conference? Is it is it the, the top line, in which case ECU was great. And therefore, the conference was really good. They had a super regional team and a, and a real Omaha contender. But if you look at if you're looking at more depth, I don't think the American was there last year. Certainly not on the level that we've seen in the past, and that it seems to be this year. Yeah. So I, I think this year's maybe a little bit of a return to what we might have seen from this league in the past, where it's three or four teams really fighting at the top, and three or four teams that are at least three or four teams that are legitimate postseason contenders. We're still kind of waiting on it from from a team like. Like Houston, or frankly, a team like Cincinnati, who we who we liked a little bit in the preseason. So, um, I think it's going to be a fun conference to follow. But all that being said, UCF is has clearly um, has clearly kind of set the tone for what for what they can accomplish. And I think this is big for them. We talked about teams with with Fullerton, for example, which just lost a series to Tulane. Speaking of the American, we, we talked about how it was big that they kind of they won a series that at least at the time with Stanford looked like it would be something, and that remains to remains to be seen but um, you know it's kind of the same thing with with UCF getting a series win against Auburn um, you know last year when you and I were evaluating um, you know bubble teams at the end of the year and trying to fill in a bracket UCF was a team we just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with turns out didn't matter I mean they weren't and they ended up not being not being in the field they weren't even really one of the last couple teams in the mix um, and a lot of that was just due to a lack of impact series wins or impact wins just kind of in impact general. wins period I yeah. mean like they they were 11 and 13 in the American last year and really dominated their non-conference schedule except for the series against Auburn in Orlando and it was it was one of those things where I, there there was there were a lot of wins they won 36 games but there just wasn't a lot of substance and a lot of when, when you really bore down on it and so this year, they're already a step ahead of the game. Um, you know, they already have more substance, assuming Auburn doesn't crater. And I think you and I are both uh, confident that this is not a, a sign of Auburn kind of just cratering and sinking into the earth. I don't think that's going to be the case. So UCF already has kind of a leg up there. Now the key is they're going to have to keep it going through American play. I don't think you can finish 11-13 in the American and expect to get any sort of postseason love. So a good start for UCF. Interested to see where it goes. And, and for Auburn, I... Um, 
just a really kind of an ugly series, um, but maybe this is kind of what, what, what this group needs to kind of refocus here. Certainly, um, you know, Friday's game was just kind of a routine loss, but Saturday and Sunday certainly were a little bit, a little bit alarming. Yeah, the, um, the nature of this sweep, the, the way that UCF really took it to Auburn's pitching was disconcerting if you're, if you're looking at it from an Auburn perspective because that's supposed to be, or that's what we thought the strength of Auburn was. And you know, when I was watching some of this, uh, I guess that was on Friday night, we, I, we saw Auburn's defense look a little shaky at times and you know, there were cracks that were exposed this weekend, but I think UCF did a great job at, at stepping through them and you, know, you, you saw some, some really exciting things for them. You know, guys like Nick Romano and, and Jordan Rathbone and the offense are off to really impressive starts and, and, and seem like they, they can be anchors of, of something there. And you know, the, I thought the pitching staff for, for UCF was, was really good, starting with Colton Gordon on Friday night, going toe-to-toe with Tanner Burns. And you know, we saw Joe Sheridan finish it out on, on Monday, or on Sunday, excuse me. And you know, that's a guy that, that you know, has been pretty consistent throughout his, his college career for the Knights. And so yeah, I, I like what they're doing. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna be interested to see where it goes from here. They have an interesting series this weekend, uh, Cal State Northridge, which is undefeated. Shouts the fighting to, Dave Serrano. Yeah, shouts to our old friend Dave Serrano. Uh, has has Northridge undefeated and now has to travel across the country to uh, to Orlando this weekend. We'll see what comes of that. And then, you know, the UCF has a couple bulldogs in, in Butler and Yale on, on the next couple weekends, mixed in with some good midweeks against Miami and Florida State. But it's a it's a little softer. Uh, until American Athletic Conference play starts, and then it starts with a bang with ECU going down to Orlando in what suddenly looks like a very tasty matchup and uh, one that's going to have pretty significant implications on the American Athletic uh, Conference race. And one that selfishly I'm angry is not happening in Greenville, just down the road from us. That's true. That is that is very true. You know, you mentioned what this means for Auburn, and you know, I don't know what it means. <laughs> I, like. It's, it's not good. I'm going to be very eager to see how they respond to this because Auburn had never been swept at home in a non-conference mm-hmm. series. They, they've been playing baseball for well over a century at Auburn, and they, they've never been swept at home in a three-game non-conference series. Now, obviously, it's one thing to say they've been playing baseball since 1895, and this hasn't happened, but you know, we all know that college baseball didn't really operate in three-game series for, for much of that time. But regardless, that's a significant blow that you now have to have to find a way to bounce back from. It's a easier week, Alabama A&M in the midweeks for two games, Wright State comes in, Wright State is feisty, but you know, beating Louisville this week on, on Wednesday, but they also were swept at Mississippi State, so this is a team that Auburn should be able to handle. Um, so they, they have some time to get right before SEC play starts, but it, it does need to happen uh, with some urgency now at this point. Yeah, I mean, this this series certainly strikes me as one that, that could be the type that we look back on in, in May and go like, remember when, not, not because UCF is, is going to go in the tank necessarily, but just one where Auburn writes the ship and we look up in May and we're like, hey, remember when UCF swept Auburn? Like, that feels like it was three years ago. There are always series like that, and, and this kind of strikes me as one that, that is going to look that, look could very well look that way at the end of the season because I think we... One of the things we liked about Auburn coming into the season when we were debating them in top 25 is that their, their floor was pretty high, just given the veteran pieces they had coming back. And, and we, we obviously liked the pitching a lot. So um, 
you know, I, I'm confident it, it will be kind of a something they bounce back from. But but to your point, I mean, they don't have a lot of time. Before, like, there's no turning back necessarily once you're in the SEC. Um, even compared to the ACC, there's we talked about a softer ACC schedule for Miami as they get into conference play. In the SEC, you just don't get that in the same way. They start with A&M, so. Exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, you've got to figure it out pretty soon because one, there's it's really hard to kind of figure things out once you are in the gauntlet that is the SEC. So we had one other uh, top 25 matchup this weekend. That was Dallas Baptist traveling to North Carolina. Friday's games got uh, snow, cold, rained out, whatever. The weather was weird here. And so they played a doubleheader Saturday. UNC took it to DBU in that first game, one nine to nothing. DBU took that punch, bounced right back. Uh, won the nightcap to even the series, and then behind Dominic Hamill's outstanding performance on the mound on Sunday, beat UNC three to nothing. Burl Caraway closed it out. Those two were were just electric on the mound for DBU, and, and DBU wins a critical series. We talked about this on Thursday that DBU only gets so many opportunities like this because they play in the Missouri Valley. It was kind of crazy to talk about it as you know, must win or, or postseason implications in February. But the reality is, this is an, a, a series win that is going to resonate all series, all season long. It's going to be an RPI boost all season long. This is how, if you're DBU, you build a hosting resume, and that's something we've been talking about a lot on the podcast, um, all off season about since I've been pretty high on DBU and what I saw this weekend certainly validated what I thought about this team. I think that you know they pitch at a, a very high level. If Dominic Hamill is your Sunday starter, you're in an outstanding spot. He was sitting in the low 90s. He carved up a pretty solid UNC lineup that had managed to score some runs the day before and just had absolutely no chance against him, it felt like. Um, he had a no-hitter going until the eighth inning. There were a couple um, infield dribblers that could have gone either way maybe but there was no solid contact at all and um you know he it ultimately got broken up by Joey Lancelotti of course he's doing it all for UNC this year he won the game on uh the the, the first game on, on Saturday and he breaks up the no hitter on, on Sunday um but Hamill was outstanding Caraway at the back of the bullpen's great Gaither has experience he wasn't great against UNC but He's solid. They threw out some really good arms uh, to win the second game. And all in all, I, I think DBU has to feel really good about itself going back. Their pitching staff acquitted itself really well in Chapel Hill. Their offense still does need to, to get turned around a little bit. But you know, I, I think that you can feel good about DBU finding a way to score some runs, and they're not going to have to score a ton of runs if they're going to keep pitching the way they've been pitching. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you, you, your point is good about them kind of starting to build a resume with this, and it, what it does is give them some cushion. Uh, where, and I mean that in two ways. One is that it does. If, if they hadn't won this series, building a hosting resume, barring going twenty-two and two in the Valley, uh, would have been tough. And even then, maybe not. Um, this kind of creates that path forward. The other side of it is, you know, I don't know, maybe. You know, Dominic Hamill gets figured out. You know, Ray Gaither, you know, struggles, and all of a sudden the offense doesn't quite figure it out. And now DBU's in a position where they're kind of fighting a little bit. If the Valley's not as good this year, you could 
I, I wouldn't bet on it, but you could see a scenario where DBU is having to fight a little bit to make sure they stay in uh, field of 64 projections. This series is going to buy them a little bit of cushion there um, if that scenario plays out that way. So I think it's big in, in that regard. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you actually about the offense. I mean, you were there for part of the series, but um, you know, you start to look at some of the offense, and obviously Jimmy Glowinky is a little bit of a weird case given his injury and, and getting thrown back into it there. But you know, Dan Pruitt is a guy they were leaning leaning hard on, and you know, contact has been a struggle for him. Ten strikeouts in 24 at bats, although he did have a home run over the weekend. And Jackson Glenn's a proven guy. I'm less worried about him, but but he's struggled. Um, you know, it, so far they've been kind of light on offense. And, and yes, I'm, I, like you, am willing to kind of bet on that, that getting um, figured out as time goes on. But, um, you know, I, have you having kind of seen a little bit with your own eyes, I was curious if, if you thought it was more just UNC pitches pretty well and UNC has talent at the very least. And, and it was kind of that. Or if maybe um, you felt like maybe there was a missing piece or two in the lineup. So there, I think both of those things are true. I think 100% UNC is a really talented pitching staff. I would venture a guess and say DBU doesn't see a pitching staff like that again during the regular season. Um, you know, I mean, they play a midweek game against A&M. They're not going to see their, their best arms. So I don't think they're going to see pitching like that the rest of the way. Uh, once they get into the postseason, it you know, it'll be different. But certainly in a, a three-game weekend, they're, they're not going to see that pitching again. Austin Love was outstanding for UNC out of the bullpen yesterday. Lance Lottie was really good Saturday. Um, UNC just has a lot of depth, a lot of talent. They might not have the front-line arm like a Bukowskis or an Andrew Miller, or, you know, some of those big-time, big-time guys we've seen UNC have over the last 15 years. But they have a lot of really quality pitching that, and they know what they're doing out there on the mound. It's it's a really well coached group. So, on the one hand, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. On the other hand, without Dan Pruitt going good, and he's definitely not right now, um, as he tr- you know tries to you know transition from junior college baseball to, to Division One baseball, um, they don't have a big slugging presence in the middle of the lineup. Now, once Glowinky gets a little more adjusted, he missed opening weekend following, um, he had a procedure on his shoulder in the off season. And while he was recovering from that, I guess he was delayed and, and did not play against South Dakota State. So his first game action was on Tuesday. Um, he's still kind of getting into it. Maybe he can provide some of that power going forward. But I think overall, and Dan Hefner told me this after the game, this isn't gonna be the power-hitting DBU offense we've seen for the last couple of years. This is going to have to be a little more manufacturer runs, a little more, you know, aggressive, you know, base running, moving runners, whatever it takes. It's going to have to be a little more of that, a little less wait for the three-run home run. Now, how successful is that going to be? I, you know, I don't know because that's not what I'm used to seeing with DBU. I'm used to seeing, you know, Bryce Ball dropping bombs. And that's not what we're going to see this year from, from DBU, I don't think. So that, you know, that means the pitching has to hold up. And I think it will. I think they will get some things right offensively. They, they've gotten some nice contributions from up and down the lineup. They're clearly not relying on anyone, including Glowinky right now, and that's a very good thing. But they are going to need to pitch at a higher level than they did the last couple years. Uh, but I think this is one of their the better staffs they've had 
um, certainly in a post-West Johnson world. And you know, when DBU pitched, DBU has a, a long history of, of pitching very well. Basically, the, the entirety of their Division One tenure, they've pitched at a pretty high level up until the last few years. And now if, um, if, this, if they can get back to that, I, I think they're going to be just fine. Fair enough. And, and I certainly don't think... Um you know, even if, even if their offense is what it is at this precise moment, I mean, that's still a team that I think is the best in the Missouri Valley Conference, just thinks the talent on the mound and, and the, the offensive pieces they, they can kind of count on. So certainly no, no reason for, for worry there. Um, but it's, it, it could limit the ceiling of Dallas Baptist if, we're, if we are going to kind of, you know, In, in the same way that I was talking about what, what's Miami going to be like in the postseason, I think that's a very fair question. What's DBU's offense going to look like? in a postseason setting where they're going to face another pitching staff like North Carolina, um, you know, and, and their, their pitching depth is going to be tested more. And, you know, what does that look like? And I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, some of that's going to depend on, you know, draws. Are they at home? Do they have to go to Lubbock again? That didn't go so well last year. You know, uh, that's a very difficult place to pitch. So, like, then can your guys handle that and et cetera, et cetera. But at least in the in the regular season, certainly in the Missouri Valley, but but throughout the regular season, I would expect that you're going to see DBU win a lot of baseball games. They just aren't going to put up a whole lot of crooked numbers in the process. All right, so a lot of good baseball around the country this weekend. I mentioned Tulane going out to Fullerton, winning that series. Uh, you know, some nice baseball being played out there. Tense ball games, close ball games late. Also uh, out west, Long Beach State. Sweeps Wake Forest right out of the top 25. The Dirtbags are off to a great start now having one series against Cal and, and Wake Forest with uh, Mississippi State coming into Blair Diamond uh, or Blair Field th this weekend. We had Tennessee going 3-0 at the Round Rock Classic, putting a, a, a pretty nice statement out there early in the season. So a lot of good baseball across the country. But Joe, I think you found maybe one of the, the better stories of the, the weekend uh, Saturday when you went to watch UNC Greensboro host Fairfield. Yeah, so I went out there for, for a couple of reasons, one of which being that I actually really kind of find Fairfield's team interesting. I mean, they, they pitched really well last year, and from what I saw this weekend, I think um, I think they're going to pitch well again this, this season. Um, but the bigger thing was that, you know, um, you know, you might have seen that Billy Godwin suffered a stroke over opening weekend uh, when they were at Coastal Carolina in that tournament there, and there was some uncertainty about when he would return. Some reporting uh, for some from some local guys early in the week suggested that that he would be back at some point, and, and um, there was it felt like there was maybe some confidence it'd be sooner rather than later. So kind of wanted to go out there because you know either he was going to be back in the dugout, which is a good story, or you know. It was just kind of interesting conversation about what's the way forward for this team, a first-year coaching staff, um, then having to kind of turn the reins over to assistants um, in year one, which is kind of an interesting scenario. So I figured I'd go out there and kind of see, see for myself. And, and um, in, a, in a bit of good news, Billy Godwin was back in the dugout. Um, it was a little bit of a different role for him. He wasn't calling pitches. He wasn't really kind of calling the shots, if you will. He was doing the, you know, working in the bullpen in terms of setting up the, the bullpen rotation and um, doing some little things here and there, but for the most part, he still was turning the game over to his assistants and was kind of working his, his way back in. And, and he admitted to me, you know, earlier in the week, he wasn't sure exactly what he was going to do. Um, he was kind of taking it one day at a time, but he'd gone out to practice uh, before the series got going and, and felt pretty good. And 
um, decided he wanted to come out, and it, it was a, a pick me up to the guys. Um, you know, talking to their players afterward, that um, you know they were excited to see him back, and that they all seem very bought in to what he and his staff are, are doing there. Um, and then you know the little icing on the cake was that they threw a no hitter. So how about that? Um, you know, a nice little welcome back gift for for their skipper. That uh, Jake Lewis uh, through the first seven innings of it, Austin Parsley was the reliever who closed it out, um, but but threw a no hitter in that in that first game there. Um, and then walked it off. It was a no-hitter and a walk-off win all in one. So um, a heck of a day uh, for the Spartans there. Um, but the, the most important thing, of course, was, was Godwin being back. And, and he looked good. He said he felt good. Um, so I, I suspect that um, you know, he'll be back for good. And, and um, you know, given where we were a week ago, where it was you know, news had maybe come out that, that, it had, that he had suffered this stroke, and, but there was just little information about what exactly was happening there. And you, you, it's easy to just kind of think the worst in situations like that. And we had just come off of talking about Gary Gilmore, so we were maybe kind of in, a, in the mindset where oh, this could be bad. But um, it looks like for, for Coach Godwin that um, you know, he's come out of it about as well as, as you possibly can. And he had a good attitude about it. And he said he was just really blessed to be back. And um, you know, he was itching to come back, as you can imagine any coach would be. So he was excited to be back in the dugout. So all around, just a good story for you in CG, uh, and by the way, a good team. Uh, you know, I like the, I mean, they're always, Link Jarrett and what he did there was impressive, and now the head coach of Notre Dame. And you know, Coach Godwin admitted that, he's like, the staff before here did a really good job, and we're just kind of trying to keep the ball rolling, essentially. Um, but I think it's a really, really talented team. I, I liked Jake Lewis on the mound. Um, he's kind of your typical good SoCon pitcher, like the stuff is not explosive, um, but he battles, he works with pace, he was mixing his pitch as well. Um, you know, mid-80s fastball. I mean, that was really, really all it was. Um, and they're, they're, and they're going to hit. I mean, one of the best hitters in college baseball you, you probably don't know about is Caleb Webster, a fourth-year third baseman who's uh, been a starter from day one at UNCG, and his career average is above 360. Um, so the dude just rakes. UNCG um, always has these guys. Link did such a great job yeah. coaching those hitters. Like, we, when we had Link on the podcast, you know, we, we talked about his hitting philosophy and, and coaching it, and they have guys that just hide under the radar with like 360 career batting yeah. averages. Andrew Morrell, a couple of years ago, I felt like was the same way. He kind of burst a little bit higher because he hit like 400. But um, I, that there is some there is some offensive juice there. Yeah, and so Caleb Webster is kind of your your kind of prototypical UNCG or the SoCon in general has a lot of guys like this where he's kind of like a shorter, thinner infielder. He doesn't have a ton of power, at least not now. He does have a couple home runs, so maybe he's, he's surging in that regard, but has traditionally not been a big power guy. Um, but then they've got a guy in Greg Hardison who does look the part. He's, you know, 6'2 and strong, and, um, you know, he's maybe going to be more of like the masher in the lineup. So, you know, I really like this UNCG team. Um, and I think they have an op Billy Godwin, I mean, look, he's an experienced coach. Had a lot of success at East Carolina. Um, you know, I think it's been enough time now that maybe it's been kind of forgotten. That you know, he got him to a super regional as well. Um, won a lot of games there. He's really well respected in the state of North Carolina, having coached for in its uh, there for so long. So um, I think things are looking up. And certainly the biggest piece of news in that is that uh, you know uh, Billy Godwin is, is going to be healthy back in the dugout and moving forward. Yep, yeah, he is such a respected uh, just individual in baseball. He. He's coached for a long time. He was a scout after um, his time at East Carolina. And people in, in both worlds really really have a lot of respect for, for what he does and, and, and what he brings to whatever organization he's working for. Now that's UNCG, and, and I think that the Spartans are, are going to benefit from that. And 
we wish uh, Coach Godwin the best as he, he continues his recovery uh, fr from that stroke last week. Um, we also, uh, you know, this weekend, Butler coach Dave Schrag, uh, it was announced that he's taken a medical leave of absence, so our, our thoughts are currently uh, with, with him and uh, ongoing with, with Coach Gilmore at, at, at uh, Coastal Carolina. There's just been a lot of realness to the, to the season so far, a lot of, lot of health news that uh, you know, just is, is outside of, of the, the world of college baseball that we usually operate in. And um, you know, So I, I hope everyone just remembers, you know, we love college baseball. I, I want to take it as seriously as, as anyone, but the real serious stuff is, is stuff like this, and, and that's what matters. So, um, you know, make sure that you're, you're, you're remembering that and, and saying I love you to the people that, that you need to be saying that, that kind of stuff to because you never know. And, and that's, that's what we've been reminded of in the, the first couple weeks of this season. Uh, so off of that very, uh, very real note, I want to shout out <laughs> Duke right-hander Bryce Jarvis, who threw a perfect game on Friday against Cornell, struck out 15, only needed 94 pitches to do it. And uh, Ole Miss threw a combined no-hitter as well on Friday night against Xavier. Doug Nikhazy, uh playing the starring role there for the first six innings uh, before turning it over to a couple freshmen to, to finish it up, including one making his college debut. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's quite the way to do it. Uh, so it was uh, three no-hitters this weekend. One of them was a perfect game, the 31st ever in uh, Division I history. So the, after not having any in, in opening weekend, we, uh, we're rolling right along with, uh, with, with the no-hitters uh, this season. seems like there's been a last five years, there's kind of been a boom in this. And I think I guess some of it is probably just the way baseball is played. Um, these days, it's, it's certainly a part of it. But uh, it has been interesting that, um, you know, I, I seem to remember a time when there there weren't that. I mean, there, there have always been no hitters in college baseball more so than at the pro level, for example. But um, it really does seem like we've kind of seen like a little bit of a, a boom in no hitters in college baseball last last five years or so. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's accurate. Um, one of those uh, years that was it was crazy, and then last year we didn't have as many. So we'll we'll yeah. see we'll see where it goes this year. It's all a little bit random once you start talking about no hitters. But uh, an exciting weekend of college baseball all around this. Week coming up is pr looks like it should be absolutely loaded as, as week three typically is. We get the Shriners College Classic in Houston. Uh, that field is is excellent. We have uh, the Frisco Classic, the Keith LeClaire Tournament uh, at, at East Carolina. Georgia is playing Georgia Tech on a weekend for the first time in a long time slash ever. I'm not sure. Joe's doing the research on that. We're gonna we're gonna have an answer for you later this week. Um, and, uh, you know, Mississippi State going out to Long Beach State. There's, there's a lot going on this week. We will be back here on Thursday uh, to, to break all of that action down, uh, give it a little bit of a preview. Uh, we'll, we'll be back here with another podcast then. But it does look to be an, like an exciting week uh, of college baseball. And then before you know it, conference play will be starting. So we're, we're into it, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... Um I, yeah, I, I shouldn't say it anymore because I think everybody says this, but the, the season really get, does can get away from you. Like in in terms of the speed, it, you look up and it's. I mean, we're gonna be we're gonna be sitting in the press box in Omaha before we know it. And I, I hate to think of it that way because because <laughs> gosh, you know, like uh, the off season is so long. You hate to see the season go by so quickly, but it, it just does every year. Well, we'll be back here uh, on the podcast uh, on Thursday, so make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, 
Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. Subscribe, rate, review if you can. Um, then you don't have to wonder about when the when the podcast is going to be dropping. It, it just goes straight to your phone, and and that's uh, you know that we we all live live for the convenience at this point. I think so. Uh, while you're at it, um, you know. You can give us a follow on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. There is plenty of content to read at BaseballAmerica.com. That new top 25 off the bat, there'll be more stuff to come throughout the week from both Joe and I. Remember, if you go to GetRoman.com BA, you get your free online visit and free two-day shipping if you uh, do end up needing that treatment. So check that out if, if you're so inclined. We want to thank them for sponsoring this edition of the Baseball America podcast. I want to thank Joe for joining me and you guys for listening along. We'll be back here Thursday to talk more college baseball with you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.